presented by UPS. Good morning, everyone. I'm Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. It's Thursday, June 8th. Three big stories driving the day in Washington and beyond today. Let's start with Mike Pence, who made it official at a campaign event in Iowa yesterday. The quote that everyone is talking about is this. I believe that anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States, and anyone who asks someone else to put them over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. In that same speech, he made it clear who he was talking about, his former boss, Donald Trump. And related to that Pence attack on Donald Trump, last night we learned that special counsel Jack Smith has issued a target letter to Donald Trump, which means that an indictment over the documents case could be imminent. And joining me now to talk about this is the person who broke this story for Politico, Kyle Cheney. What is this target letter? What does it mean? And what can we expect in the days and weeks ahead related to this case? So it's interesting. It's a target letter is in some ways a very routine or mundane step in an investigation. But in this case, it's a fairly monumental one because it's the clearest suggestion, the clearest indication that Jack Smith and then the federal prosecutors working for him are about to bring charges against Donald Trump. Doesn't guarantee that they will, but a target letter means that they consider Donald Trump a target. And what that means is they think the evidence is there to support criminal charges, and they're basically treating him like he's already a defendant. And that's giving him one opportunity to testify if he wants before the grand jury. He probably wouldn't take that. Most people would not in that position. And then the next step would be the charging phase. So while, again, nothing is ever guaranteed, and when you're dealing with an investigation as unprecedented as this, you know, you never want to assume But in the normal course of business, this would precede the charges, which would be pretty imminent. The case in New York was criticized by a lot of legal scholars as being not the strongest case in the world. What is the consensus in the legal community and the experts about this case in terms of what we know publicly about the merits of the case? I mean, this is sort of like the anti-New York case. It's so seemed on its face so overwhelming that a lot of the legal experts, you know, and admittedly armchair legal experts, because they don't know what Jack Smith knows or what's happening at a a certain deeper level. But the armchair legal experts have been saying this looks open and shut. This, I mean, there's so much evidence here of obstruction. Some of the steps DOJ was taking and that Jack Smith took in this probe were suggested that his evidence, I mean, they were able to break attorney-client privilege between Trump and his lawyer, Evan Corcoran, on the crime fraud exception, where a judge had to say the evidence of a crime is so clear, we're going to let you break attorney-client privilege, Jack Smith. And and so like when you you see things like that, it's hard to fathom that the evidence is not extremely strong. And so where there may have been gaps or problems with the case in New York, you just don't see them here. Again, with that big caveat is that these things are so secretive, there may be nuances, there may be bits of testimony, this may be much more complicated underneath the hood than it is in sort of the level that we've all seen in the reporting and the, the stuff that sort of dribbled out. Got it. Kyle, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And finally, if that wasn't enough for the second day in a row on Wednesday, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy lost control of the floor of the House because a band of far-right agitators refused to move forward on Republican legislation. What happened here? We're going to bring in our ace reporter on the Hill, Sarah Ferris, to break this down. Yeah, can you hear me now? Sarah, so 
what went on this week with McCarthy and this band of rebels and where do things stand this morning? So it was a pretty crazy two days. The house came back Monday night. Things seemed to be fine, doing some routine business. Then comes Tuesday, and there's a surprise protest on the floor of the house. They kept it really under wraps. On they Tuesday. apparently decided somewhat spontaneously on the floor to do this. And it's a group of roughly 11 conservatives, most of them from the House Freedom Caucus, which is Donald Trump aligned group of, of hardliners. And basically, they said, we don't have to support our party's procedural vote on this bill. It was actually a very popular bill that basically rebukes the Biden White House's action on gas stoves. That's what happened on Tuesday. And it's put McCarthy in this real dilemma that really no one was expecting this week. People thought McCarthy had just passed this huge test of his speakership, uh, avoiding default. And and yet here we are and the House is adjourned until Monday. And there was a lot of coverage after the debt deal that McCarthy had sort of tamed the House Freedom Caucus, right? What are some of the real hardliners that have come on board with McCarthy and sort of been his liaisons to the Freedom Caucus, like Massey and Jim Jordan and MTG? Any uh, signs of what their role was in this Tuesday and Wednesday? So none of those were part of this separate group. And what's really important to know about the House Freedom Caucus is that this group of several dozen people has a lot of subgroups within it, kind of as any caucus within a, a really diverse group like the House of Representatives has. What's really been interesting to watch is how Freedom Caucus members have realized I can have my own power in this tiny majority and how they've decided to use it. And people like Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're kind of working the inside route versus folks that we might not have heard of before on a national level, folks like Dan Bishop, folks like Ralph Norman. These are folks who are in these meetings looking at how can we cause maximum disruption and how can we use this for our own purposes. And Sarah, last question, I'll let you go. What are you going to be looking for today? Conversations have to continue. McCarthy needs to figure out a way. They have a lot of really big things coming up. Republicans are trying to get all 12 of their spending bills to the floor as soon as this month. So McCarthy and and his team really have to figure out a way to get conservatives back in their corner so they can just proceed with everything else they need to do uh, this summer. And they have two more weeks in session after this, then they're going to be out for two weeks. And then all of a sudden you're in July and things are really getting tight. Good stuff. Thanks, Sarah. All right. Thanks. And for your schedule today at 1130 a.m., Biden will hold a bilateral meeting with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. At 1.30 p.m., Biden and Sunak will hold a joint news conference. And later tonight at 7 p.m., Biden will host a Pride Month celebration with Betty Who. I'm Ryan Lizza. Try and stay indoors today. The air quality will be awful. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by UPS, who just published its first ever jobs and opportunity report. Check it out to see what the best benefits in the industry really look like. From wages and healthcare to tuition assistance, paid time off, and even pensions for both full and part-time union employees. You can explore how UPS employees are building their lives and dream careers every single day at greatemployer.ups.com.